Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Hey, I want to welcome you again today. We're going to be live next Sunday at Jane Long Elementary at 10.30 a.m., and we're going to be in person. And so I am uh, so excited about this. If you are a person who's been joining us online, but you haven't joined us in person yet, we want to invite you to come. We'd love to meet you. Uh, we're going to be meeting at Jane Long Elementary here in historic Richmond. It's 907 Main Street. And we're going to be there at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, October 11th, and it's going to be a great time together. So I encourage you to join us. Hey, we're finishing our series called Want to Be Loved this week, and I'm going to share a message with you today called God's Culture Creating Love. God's Culture Creating Love. And if you want to catch up with what we've talked about so far, you can find that on our podcast or you can find that on our YouTube channel. But a couple months ago, I took my son, Will, on a horseback riding lesson, and the horse trainer was kind of showing us to our horses, the horses that we'd be riding that day. So she brings me up to my horse that I'm going to be riding that day, and she says to me, uh, this one's stubborn. Right? He's, he wants to be lazy, but whatever he is, is what I've made him. I've had him from the beginning. She told me the story about this horse and how uh, this, the, the, the mom had been pregnant when she bought the mom. And so then they were, you know, she had this horse in her stable and she's raised him from infancy. And whatever he is, is what I've made him. I was thinking about my life, about your life, how the decisions and choices and things that we do or don't do and how that impacts our lives and that we could say in some measure, in some way, whatever it is, it's what I've made it to be. You see, I want to start with a big idea today that you're a creator, a lowercase c creator. God is the capital C creator. He's the one who made everything from nothing. He spoke the world into being. But you and I, we have a creative role. We're lowercase c creators. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Chris, like I am not creative at all. I'm not a creator. Well, I'm not talking about being artistic. I'm talking about culture and culture making, that you and I create culture with our lives, whether we mean to or not. You see, there's a definition of culture that I found to be very helpful this week. It's by Andy Crouch, and he says, culture is what we make of the world. Culture is what we make of the world. And you and I are constantly making something of the world and of our worlds through our choices and decisions and actions. We're creators. And I just want to ask you, what are you making? What are you creating? Today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to start turning there, uh, this is 
Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul writing the letter to the church at Ephesus. He had planted the church. He had spent two to three years there, and he had been incredibly fruitful. And in Acts 19, it tells us that all the residents of Asia Minor, even the Greeks and the Jews, all of them had heard the word of the Lord because Paul had been so uh, working so extensively in this area. And so here he is writing this letter to them. And it's a letter of encouragement, a letter to strengthen them. We're going to read uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. Why don't you read along with me? He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established, in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul, the apostle, who planted this church, writing this letter, and he's writing them a prayer. He's letting them know how he's been praying over them, and it's a prayer for strength. And uh, as we look at this prayer, I just want you to think with me for a moment about the people he's writing to specifically people that live in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was uh, a town that was incredibly cosmopolitan. It was a port city. There would have been a lot of welfare as goods are coming in and out of that city. It probably would have had uh, you know, a, a multicultural or multi-ethnic vibe as all kinds of things were coming in and out. Lots of different kinds of people would be here in Ephesus. And this city was a cultural center. In fact, Strabo, who was a Greek geographer and historian and philosopher who lived during the time of Jesus, in fact, he died about 40 years before this letter was written, he, he said about Ephesus that it was the greatest emporium in Asia Minor. That this was a, a, a very special place, a, a cultural center, and this town had a 20,000-seat amphitheater. It had a, um, a temple of Artemis that was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, if you were to go on Google and, and look up ancient Ephesus, you'll find that it's there in, the, in modern-day Turkey, and you'll see pictures of uh, the streets and the architecture and the amphitheater, and it's breathtaking. It's beautiful. This would have been a place that was had a rich, thick, but pagan culture. So Paul, he's writing a letter to a church in a cultural center, praying for their strength, and I believe laced within his prayer is really a cultural vision. 
It's a cultural vision I think we as the church need to embrace today. So the first thing that I want us to see in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that God's culture-creating love is experienced in community. Experienced in community. Now, a lot of you have heard the phrase before, knowledge informs, but experience transforms. The idea is that there are things that we can know, but they don't really kind of change us. They, they don't have an impact. They don't mold us. And that there's experiences that mold us. I think of uh, another passage of Paul that knowledge puffs up. You know, it, it can fill our heads. It can fill us with hot air. It can make us arrogant and prideful. He says, but love builds up. Right? Love builds up. That, this idea that there's a certain knowledge that just informs, but love or this experience of love actually transforms. In verse 14, as Paul is <clears throat> you know, sharing this prayer, he, he talks about kneeling before the Father for whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Now, our family is really the kind of the, the basic block of our culture. It's where we find our identity. And what Paul does is he says, look, every family on earth, no matter what your family was like, he kind of lifts them up to their real identity and says, look, I kneel before the Father from whom every family on earth is named. He's reminding them of their identity. And then he begins to pray for their strengthening. And I love this prayer because he's praying for Power in your inner being through his spirit. I mean, come on, that's just awesome. We want that, right? God's power in us and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Beautiful. He's, he's reminding us of this source. We have a power source within us that's not of us. It is from God. It's his spirit that lives in us and dwells in us. And then he shifts into where I want us to focus today, this prayer. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. Rooted and firmly established in love. Now that word rooted, that, that you know, is a metaphor, right? We're people that walk around on the, on the ground with feet. We don't have tree roots that grow down into the ground, but he's wanting them to grasp something about love. That it was this sort of interconnected network that was under the surface, under the ground, and it would kind of wrap itself around the soil and the rocks spread out underneath and it would go deep and it would, it would draw up the nutrients, right? And it was also strengthening because when the high winds would come, the, the tree was firm because the root system held it in place. And when we you know, read this at first glance, we think that Paul's talking about our individual understanding of God's love, that we're rooted down deep in God's love. But scholars, they actually think what Paul was talking about was the love for one another. Paul's talking about this culture-creating love of God that's experienced in community. 
There's this beautiful moment in John chapter 13 where Jesus, he's, he's having the last supper with his disciples before he's arrested and, and ultimately crucified. He's having this last supper and there's a moment where he takes off of his he takes off his outer garment and it says he wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt down with a water basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. I mean, talk about an experience of love. And then he says these words to them. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in this incredible moment, this experience of the disciples, you know, having a tangible expression of Jesus's love, he says, look, I want you to love one another and everybody are, is going to know that you're with me by this, that you love one another. This will be the distinguishing mark of my people. Now, that's fascinating to me because Jesus was a miracle worker. I mean, that was one of the distinguishing characteristics of his ministry, right? He did things that no one else could do. In fact, when Jesus fills his disciples with the Spirit, they also are able to do these miraculous things. In fact, even Paul, while he was in Ephesus planting this church, it says that God was doing these miraculous signs and wonders through him to the degree that even a handkerchief that he had, had gotten his sweat on was given to somebody and they were healed when they touched it. I mean, that's miraculous stuff. And we would think, you know, the marker, the distinguishing mark of God's people is like, you know, miraculous things and signs and wonders and healings and all this crazy, awesome stuff. And I believe God still does all those things today. But Jesus, that's not what he says. Jesus says, the distinguishing mark, how everyone's going to know that you're with me, is how you love one another. Paul, in his famous love chapter, said, hey, look, you could have any of the gifts, right? But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You see, the Jesus culture is a culture of love. And it's a love that's meant to be experienced, this interconnected network of relationships and people who experience who are nourished by, who are strengthened by the love of God among us. Casey and I, we uh, lost our second child to a miscarriage. We'd had one healthy son, our oldest son, William, and we thought, you know, we got one down, surely we can have another, no problem. And then that pregnancy was cut short. We were saddened, heartbroken. Um, and I remember that at that time, we were a part of a group, much like the groups that we have here at Renaissance called house churches. And I'll never forget how those people came around us. 
talk about an experience of God's love. I mean, they would bring us meals and gift cards and they would send us messages and emails and phone calls. Uh, one of them showed up with a bag just with our favorite candies and uh, magazines in them and just people that just shared their stories with us of how they had walked through similar things and we just would talk with them and cry with them and pray with them. I mean, it was an experience, a tangible experience of the love of Jesus that washes feet. I want to ask you, have you ever experienced the love of Christ like that? Have you ever experienced this culture creating love of God? So the second thing that I think we, we see in this uh, cultural vision within Paul's prayer is that God's culture creating love is cultivated in community. He uses this phrase in verse 18. He prays for them that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love. Comprehending with all the saints. I love how he describes God's love as this multidimensional uh, love that we could actually explore together. He gives it, you know, height and depth and width and length. And it's as if he's saying, look, the only way to comprehend this is to do it together. That this love is wide enough to include every person. That it's long enough to last and it's going to last us forever, for eternity, that it's deep enough to reach the worst sinner. It's deep enough to reach us at our darkest moments. It's high enough that it's spacious and it, that it will lift us to the heights of heaven. Like This is the multi-dimensional love of God and it has to be comprehended together with all the saints. And when we talk about cultivating it in community, this, this idea of cultivation comes out of agriculture. It's, it's when we begin to pitch in. It's when we join the process. It's when we grab the shovel or we get the pruning shears or we put our hand to the plow. It's when we clear away the stones. I mean, that's when we begin to cultivate. It's an interactive process. I believe that Paul is, is praying this cultural vision over them of this interactive cultivating of God's culture-creating love. And he says <laughs> that through this, through this, together, we could know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, Paul, he's not casting a vision of these uh, endless, isolated, personal Bible studies by yourself or some other kind of Christian individualism. Paul is casting a vision of togetherness, of seeing something that we can't see alone together. <laughs> and aren't you glad, aren't you glad that our God's love is a love that can be known, 
that phrase is funny, to, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. It's like, how do you know something that surpasses knowing? Well, it's, it's helpful to understand the words. That word know is an intimate word. In fact, it, it, was, you know, um, uh, it was used of a husband and a wife that a husband would know his wife, and it's a very intimate understanding or knowledge of something. Whereas this, this word knowledge, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, would be like a general basic knowledge of something. And what he's saying is, look, there, there's a love in Christ that you can know intimately, like you can know it. And that's good news, that it's not some dusty doctrine up on some shelf. It's not just a theological platitude. It was meant to be the experience of your life and my life as we join together and we cultivate it in community. The third thing that I think Paul's prayer shows us is that God's culture creating love creates in Community. There's a phrase that he uses in verse 18, one that we skipped over earlier. It says, firmly established in love. Now, Paul slips in another metaphor. Uh, after the rooted metaphor, he goes into like a construction metaphor of a building. But he's saying, look, there's this foundation of love that you can have for one another in Christ that's strong enough that you can Build things on it without worrying that it's going to crumble or fall apart. It's the idea that we're, we're together building something on a foundation. It's a creative act. Now, the, uh, the thing about culture creating is that every act of culture creating is in essence saying, this is how the world should be. This is how the world should be. And this culture creating love that we're called to create in community is us together as the church saying, look, this is how the world should be. Paul, he talked about this love in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he's talking about this ministry that they have and why they're going to all these places and seeking to persuade people. And he just says, the love of Christ compels us. Meaning like there's this urge in us through this love of Christ. And it's like this inspiration. It's like we're going out and we're doing things because we're compelled, we're urged on. There's a famous phrase uh, that Steve Jobs used at the beginning of, of Macintosh computers. They were uh, preparing the launch of the, the first Macintosh computer and his designers and engineers were wanting to perfect it and perfect it and perfect it and delay all the orders that were coming in. And finally, Steve Jobs told them, real artists ship. What he meant was this, is, hey, hey, we're creating something here together, but it's not just about us creating something perfect. It's like we're trying to get something to real people at real addresses. You know, the same is true when we talk about creating in this, uh, this culture, creating love, that we are, are doing things that affect real people with our lives, 
that the choices that we're making and the things that we're doing, the culture that we're making affects the people around us. That we need to make things that can change the lives of real people at real addresses. For example, <laughs> your family. Your family has a culture. You probably know that already, but I just want to talk about maybe parts of why or parts of that culture. So, for example, uh, in your family culture, there are certain things that are possible and certain things that are impossible based on your culture. For some of you, it's impossible for two people who love each other to ever get into an argument. That's your family culture. For others of you, it's impossible for two people who love each other to not get into an argument because that's part of your family culture. Or think of this, how you eat, right? Whether you eat at a table at the same time or, or whether you eat a meal together every night around the table or once a week around the table or just every now and then around the table, all those things are cultural. Do you eat in front of a TV or do you only eat out at restaurants? Those are cultures within our family. Let's talk about what you eat. Some of you eat some crazy stuff, right? Some of you have elaborate meals that you make. Or maybe it's just the microwavable basics. Maybe it's the frozen dinner. All that stuff shapes the culture of our family. For some of our families, there's, it's impossible for us to have meaningful conversations. Right, whatever uh, little decisions and choices have been made along the way, it's like no one's able to have an actual meaningful conversation. For others, it's possible to have meaningful conversations because other choices were made along the way. For some, spending hours on electronics every day is impossible in your family. Like you've just made some choices where that's not how we do things. For others of us, it's possible because we have made other choices. That's just one example of how we create culture. But you and I are always creating it, whether we mean to or not. And the question is, what are we creating? I mean, is what we're creating saying, this is how the world should be? What is it that drives us crazy about our lives or drives us crazy about our family life or drives us crazy about our church life? And how can we create something better? Well, I uh, wanna give you a couple ideas. The first is this, give of yourself for the benefit 
of others. Let me say it again. Give of yourself for the benefit of others. This is the secret sauce of the Christian life. I mean, this is where it's at. This is where the rubber meets the road. If we're going to create a culture of the type of love that God possesses, because this is the very definition of God's love. We've defined love the very first week of our series as self-giving for the benefit of others. I mean, just think of Jesus who's taking off that outer garment, washing disciples' feet. He's, he's emptying out his dignity to just show them a tangible act of love. Think of Jesus going to a cross, right? Literally taking all the, the junk, the filth, the sin, the regrets, the pain, the curse of our life upon himself and paying for it for our benefit. This is the Jesus kind of love. It's the secret sauce. It's what creates cultures. It makes all the difference in the world. And I think that Jesus is calling us, just like he did those disciples, just as I have loved you, love one another. This could look like listening attentively when Everything in you wants to interrupt and tell your story. It could look like putting down that device and just talking to your child or your spouse or your friend or your roommate. It could be taking a meal, a gift card, sending a note, a text message when someone is going through something really, really hard or really, really great could be giving money or a material possession to somebody who's in need. Sometimes it just looks like knowing that your spouse doesn't really, really want to do something that you really, really want to do, and you just choose, you know what? I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to give of myself for the benefit of my spouse. You see, this is... The, the, the core of this culture of love that Jesus is coming to make. The second thing I would add is this, in the church. Right? Give yourself, give of yourself for the benefit of others in the church. And don't miss that, okay? This is what Paul is praying for. He's talking about the church, comprehending together. He's talking about giving glory to Jesus in the church. That's what he's praying for. And don't downplay that. We, as the church of Jesus, are to embody God's culture, creating love. We live this out here at Renaissance Church in two ways. The first is we gather on Sundays like this. We're, we're going to be gathering in person next week, but it's a place where we come together and we do things. We, we sing songs, right? We, we greet one another. We, we preach God's word because these are our values. It's our culture, we love one another. And the second way that we live this out is in our house churches where we literally know one another's lives. We get to know like, what, what are you going through? What are you struggling with? How can I help you? How can, how can we come around you? How can we help you grow? This is where we live out this culture creating love of God. We create it 
and community. I want to close with this thought. If you were to ask somebody in the mid-1800s to draw a map of the United States, they would probably draw land with a bunch of rivers in the middle because that's what was important to them. Rivers were key. It's how they got into different parts of the country. It's how trade was made. It's how the settlers and pioneers came in. In fact, our town, historic Richmond, is built on a river. And if you were to um, ask somebody in, let's say, the year 2000 to draw a map of the United States, they're probably not going to draw a single river on that map. What they're going to draw instead is a highway. And the reason why they're going to draw highways is because in 1956, Dwight Eisenhower signed into law the Federal Aid Highway Act, and this was an expansion or creation of highways across the United States. Now, Dwight Eisenhower had been, uh, in World War II, he had served as the Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, and so he had spent lots of time in Germany, and he was fascinated by, he had an experience of the Autobahn, a highway. He could see how military vehicles could move quickly from one part to another part of the country, and he just thought this was amazing. And so he comes back to the United States, he's elected president, and he has a vision of what the world should be, and it has highways in it. And just think about the culture-making power of a highway. <laughs> Local goods could be shipped from your town to another town by road quickly, and local goods from that town could come to your town by road quickly. It would now be easy and safe for workers to commute from one town to another town, right? Centers of commerce and business would shift away from rivers and, railway, and railroads, and they would move to highway intersections. Housing developments would spring up outside of city centers called suburbs, Cars would become essential. There would be a car culture that would emerge in America. Highway hotels and motels would be developed. Fast food, drive-through restaurants would come into being. Um, Drive-in movies would be shown. It's like the list would go on and on of this cultural shift that happened because of a highway. Now today, if you were to ask somebody to draw a map of the U.S., they would probably just smile and say, Google it. Why? Because in 1990, a thing called the internet was first made publicly available. Someone had a vision of what the world should be. In 1992, IBM developed the very first smartphone. The rest is history you're watching this service over the internet live. We're doing it all because of that simple invention. Here's my point. None of these creators could have known how far reaching the cultural shifts of their actions would go. Like literally like a pebble dropped into a pond, this highway, this internet, these things drop in and they create just these 
ripples that move out into all the different spheres of life. And here's what I want to say to us, church. Let's join in this culture-making work in the love of God. Let's learn how to love each other well in community. I want to encourage you to get in the body of Christ, to join in what's happening because I'm praying that people will draw the map of their life differently because some people decided to give of themselves for the benefit of others. As Paul would say, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the work or to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.